continue in the series, um, looking at the power of the Spirit through the examples of Elijah and Elisha. So I'll be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. If you want to follow along, um, I'll be reading from um, New American Standard Version, or you could listen along. Okay, starting in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate. And drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountaintops and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And again, and after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. It came about when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall anoint, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meloha, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu, shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Good morning. We are in a sermon series on spiritual power in a skeptical age. Right now, we're looking at major events in Elijah's life and ministry to learn about spiritual power. Today's passage is really close to my heart. I identify with Elijah a lot. My wife would say too much, rightly. Um, So last chapter, 
Elijah has just had the biggest ministry success of his life. And since his job is ministry, this means he's had the biggest professional success of his life, too. Uh, so the biggest success you could possibly imagine, right? Literally calling down fire from heaven for all of Israel to see. He defeated the prophets of Baal. He prayed down uh, one of the most tremendous miracles in the Bible. And now he's on his way to the capital of Israel, but then despair. This is, I think, one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Because we cannot understand Elijah calling down fire uh, without this passage. The theological significance of who is God and what is he doing We're not going to draw the right conclusions if we just look at last week, if we don't have this passage, if we don't understand this passage. Last chapter alone, you can count on God to grant you big, blockbuster, epic success, always on command. But with this chapter, God is way beyond our understanding. He is good and wild, um, but not always how you expect. He's better and wilder than we can easily Understand, easily make sense of. And we need to get the real, full picture of God if we're going to make it through life's dark times. So, as we look at this story, we're going to consider three things. Elijah's despair, God's care, and God's answer. So, despair, care, and answer. Um, Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would Um, Give clarity to my words, and God, open our hearts to um, receive your word for us. And God, for those of us who are are looking for an answer from you, God, may this passage provide it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so let's remember where we are in Elijah's story. Elijah has just had a phenomenal ministry success. He confronted uh, the evil king Ahab, saying, Get the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table, and we're going to see who's the real God. All right? And he had confronted all of Israel, saying, How long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, worship him. And the prophets of Baal spent all day crying out and raving and cutting themselves and trying to get Baal to throw down fire on the altar. And there was no answer, no voice, no one paid attention. And then Elijah prayed very simply for God to show everybody that he's God, that Elijah is just following God's word, and that God has turned back the hearts of Israel. And after Elijah prays, God sends down fire that burns up the offering and the altar and the trench of water, and the people fell down and they say, the Lord, he is God. Right? Stunning success. Miraculous outpouring of power, and the people respond. So Elijah immediately starts running to the city of Jezreel, which is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel at the time. So remember that after Solomon's death, the kingdom is split. Um, so the southern kingdom, Judah, the capital there is Jerusalem, and the, in the north, the capital of Israel is, is Jezreel. Now, Why is Elijah running to Jezreel here? Well, Because he thinks Israel is going to rise up against Jezebel. Jezebel was the wicked queen of Israel. And remember, the prophets of Baal and Asherah are endorsed, are supported by Jezebel. They are state-sponsored idolatry. And Elijah has just showed everybody powerfully 
that the Lord is the only true God and that everybody needs to stop worshiping false gods. So he thinks he'll go to the capital and Jezebel will be terrified. Right? She's been shown out to be a fraud. Uh, but that's not all what happens. Jezebel found out about the Mount Carmel showdown and how Elijah's called down fire and then had the false prophets killed. And Jezebel tells Elijah, may I be struck down by the gods if I don't strike you down by tomorrow. So instead of repenting from her false and wicked ways, Jezebel double downs and says, I'm going to kill you. So that's where we are in the story now. Jezebel got Elijah's attention. He's afraid. He flees to Beersheba, which is over a hundred miles south in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he leaves his servant there. Now, do you know why he leaves his servant? He's quitting. His servant was his assistant in ministry. And he's saying, go find another job. I'm through. I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel, hanging on my hat. Elijah is quitting. And now, why is he quitting? Right? Most of us quit after we fail. Right? Maybe after we fail repeatedly. Uh, in fact, I think most of us are familiar with despair. Um, our life is not going the way we want it to. Um, so what hope is there? We feel hopeless. Uh, I've done it again and again. I've blown it too many times. It'll never get better. What hope is there? Right? Or it's not me. It's somebody else. Uh, this relationship is a failure. This marriage is a failure. This class is a lost cause. This job, this situation, it's never going to get better. What hope is there? Right? Because when we lack hope, there isn't really any choice but to despair. That's almost the definition of hopelessness. The failures have piled up and finally it's enough. It's too much. We lose hope. But Elijah hasn't had failures. Right? Let's, let's review Elijah's ministry so far. He confronted the most powerful and dangerous person in Israel, the king, and told him, it will not rain unless I say so. And then there's a three-year drought. Success. He goes to a widow, tells her, if you feed me, you will miraculously have flour and oil until this drought is over. And she does. Success. The widow's son dies. And Elijah prays to bring him back to life. And he comes back to life. Success. Right? And then he confronts the prophets of Baal, calls down fire from heaven. The people of Israel fall on their faces. The Lord, he is God. Major, major success. Um, and after all that, Elijah's going to quit? How can that be? Well, Elijah tells us in a few, a few verses. But he himself... Let me see. Did I put this for you? But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. He's not just quitting ministry. He's, he's ready to quit on life, to quit on everything. Uh, when he says it is enough, the Hebrew is actually too much. This is too much. This is too great to bear. I can't handle this, God. There's no bigger ministry success he could have, and it wasn't enough. 
Jezebel is unfazed and she wants to kill him. And, you know, Elijah believes her. Now, I think Elijah's in despair for a lot of reasons. So, first, the king and queen have instituted state-sponsored idolatry. And the showdown wasn't enough to end it. So the idolatry will continue. The evil and injustice that happened under Ahab and Jezebel will continue. Right? Even if some of the people fell on their faces and declared, the Lord, he is God, Elijah knows that Israel as a whole will continue to ignore God, uh, to disobey God. So that's first. And second, a few verses later, God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah responds, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. In other words, God, I'm on fire for you. I've given up everything for you. I confronted the king. I lived as a fugitive for three years. At your command, I let unclean animals feed me. I stuck my neck out in a big way for you to confront the prophets of Baal. There is nobody more committed to you, Lord. The people have turned away from you, and I'm doing everything I can to turn them back, but it's not working. They want me dead. They aren't turning back to you. They're turning on me. And notice that Elijah said, I am no better than my fathers. I think that's very interesting. Um, so the word better is the Hebrew word for, for good, pleasant, beautiful. Um, so in Genesis 1, when God is pleased with his creation, he declares it good. Right? That's this same word. It's beautiful. It's pleasing to God. When God says somebody is pleasing him in his eyes, it's this word. So I think Elijah is saying, I don't please you any more than my fathers. The ones who have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars, you're not pleased with me, God. I'm not beautiful to you, God. Elijah's in despair because in his mind, God has let him down. God, your plan is not working, and God, you've rejected me. I said earlier that we can despair because of failure. That's true, but you you and I, I think we also know we can despair just as easily when we succeed. Because even our successes aren't enough. Elijah's failure is that he succeeded. He won. He did it. But now to Elijah, it was a failure. So, you know, for us, it could be, you got the job. but It's not enough. Or you got the girl or you got the guy. And they aren't good enough. Or you got in to whatever it is and now you hate the place. You know, and I'd wager, if you're sitting on top of a mountain of success right now, deep down somewhere, you have this tickling feeling that it could all come crashing down at any moment. Right? Your pleasant, beautiful life isn't really. You don't like to think about it, but you know, the veil might get pulled back, and I might see that my biggest successes have been failures. I think we know how Elijah feels. And this is not just a problem in our lives generally. It's a huge spiritual problem. Elijah's problem, after all, is spiritual. He's been zealous for God. He's been a spiritual superstar, but he's in a spiritual crisis here. Let me confess to you, I can't tell you how many times I myself give a sermon, right? And then later I review what I said, 
And I am cut to the heart by my own words. I'm convicted. I'm like, I said that? My own heart is so... How did I go up there and say that? Because right now, that's not what I'm feeling. Right? I can preach a sermon on Sunday and on Monday have a complete meltdown and think, God isn't pleased with me. God is opposed to me. God isn't near to me. I recently preached a sermon on God blessing Jacob. And one of the points I made, if you don't remember, um, was that Jacob is despicable. He's horrible. Jacob is cringeworthy. You look at his life, you think there's nothing blessable there. But by grace, God blesses him. Because God desired, God purposed to love him. And the next day, I literally, the next day fell apart and thought, God, you don't bless me. I'm a sinner, and that's never going to change. And I was hopeless. It's not getting better. I suspect I'm not the only one this happens to. After all, we have Elijah here. Um, So, now, not one of us has had the level of success Elijah has. And so, we might fool ourselves into thinking, yes, my current success is enough, but just a little bit more, right? And then I'll get there. But Elijah, he knows better. He knows, he knows there's not a little bit more. This is it. And here's the thing. If we can see how God answers Elijah, then we can get the answer we need when our smaller successes turn to failures. Right? We can get the answer we need for any amount of despair that we're facing. Okay? So that's Elijah's despair. So second, God's care. How does God care for Elijah? Well, first, God sends an angel and says, arise and eat. Why? Before you can get God's answers, he needs food. I mean, Elijah is physically exhausted. That's not the source of his despair, but it's not helping. God is about to completely address all of Elijah's despair. But first, God meets Elijah where he's at. An angel of the Lord touches him. Right? Do, do you realize the tenderness, the gentleness of God here? Right? Elijah's falling apart. Elijah's in despair. So God reaches out his hand and touches Elijah and serves him a meal. Right? God knows that Elijah needs food and tenderness before he can receive the answer God has for him, which he's going to get. If you're struggling, when you're in despair, if you pay attention you will notice God's tenderness with you right where you are. And the angel of the Lord tells him, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And that too great for you, that's the same word Elijah used earlier. Elijah said, It is enough, Lord. Take my life. And God responds, You're right. It is too much for you. So I'm going to direct you. I'm going to guide you. God tells Elijah, this is too much for you. That's why you need to get moving now. And God sends Elijah on a journey to Mount Horeb through the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, you might recognize Mount Horeb by its other name, Sinai. God is leading Elijah to the mountain where God met with Israel after the Exodus. right? Where God revealed himself and gave his law, where God instituted his covenant with his people. And it's the mountain Moses would go up to meet with God. So God tells Elijah, it's too much for you. Go to Horeb. Implication? You will meet God there. And this is what happens when Elijah gets there. 
There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Right? God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, do you think that was for God's sake? Like, Elijah, I wasn't expecting to see you here. Gosh, I, I really expected to be at Jezreel or something. Um, it's a long journey from, what are you doing? No, God is asking for Elijah's sake. Uh, again, God is being so tender with Elijah. All right, first he says, what's going on? Elijah, tell me what's on your mind. He's preparing Elijah to receive God's answer. So back to the text. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Now, pause. If we're going to understand God's answer to Elijah, which is coming, we need to notice that God has, what God has already been doing so far, okay? God has been leading Elijah back through the Exodus story. All right, so let's notice just how similar Elijah's position is to Moses's. So Moses, like Elijah, had performed incredible signs and wonders against an idolatrous nation. And then Moses, along with Israel, they wander through the desert for about 40 days on their way to Sinai. And along the way, they're fed with manna, miraculous bread from God, bread from heaven. And when God appeared at Sinai, he sent fire on the mountain, right? Just like happened at Mount Carmel just a chapter ago. But just after the people receive the law, after they receive God's covenant, they make a golden calf and worship it and Right? And they declare, this is the God that has taken us out of slavery and brought them up out of Egypt. And Moses is furious. And not only that, he's doubting God. And Moses says, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So here's Elijah on Mount Horeb in a cave in a cleft, in the same position that Moses was in. Elijah knows exactly what this is about. He's about to see God. He's about to see God's glory. So finally, God's answer. God has led Elijah through the Exodus story, right, leading him to the Mount of God, feeding him in the wilderness, uh, and Elijah is ready for God's answer. And now, I think it's fair to say that Elijah is probably expecting God to answer in some big, spectacular way. Right? He, of course, has just seen God answer his prayer with fire on Mount Carmel. Right? But look what happens. Okay. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God sends a great storm with wind so strong that it tears the mountains and breaks the rocks apart. But God wasn't in the storm. Then God shakes the earth. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Right? Then God sends fire again. He's got a habit of doing this, but the Lord was not in the fire. And finally, the sound of a low whisper. In the Hebrew is apparently a, an enigmatic phrase. This is something like a brief sound of silence. There's tremendous commotion. God sending wind and quakes and fire and tearing the mountain apart. And then it stops. Silence. And in that silence, that low whisper, in that pause, then Elijah recognizes God is here. God sent the wind, the quake and the fire, but God wasn't in them. The stillness is where God finally spoke. So Elijah, Elijah wraps himself in a cloak because he can't see God and live. And he goes out to God. And God asks him a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? And even though the words are exactly the same, it's not the same question this time, is it? Like the context has completely changed. God has just sent a supernatural storm, supernatural earthquake and fire. All the while, Elijah is holding on for dear life in the cleft of the rock. And now in a moment of silence, God calls out to him. Can you feel the difference? God asking Elijah now, what are you doing here? And Elijah answers with the exact same response. But again, it feels different, doesn't it? Because God has already given Elijah his first answer. All right, how's that? Elijah probably expected that God would appear in a storm or an earthquake or in a fire. And after all, he's, he's not wrong to think that God appears like that sometimes. So Isaiah, there's hundreds of Bible verses, but Isaiah has one. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with a cloudburst and storm and hailstones. God appeared to Job in a whirlwind and a storm. The earth quaked when God appeared, when God came down on Mount Sinai in Exodus. God appeared to Moses as a burning bush. It's fire. But this time, God was not in any of those things. But in the stillness, in the silence. Listen, God often does, often will, um, come in storm and quake and fire, but not always. It's a mistake to think if nothing is happening, God's not at work. God's not there. Right? That, that's, that's what you would think. The storm is past and God wasn't there. The quake is past and God wasn't there. The fire is past and God wasn't there. God isn't working. Now, Elijah thinks, I called down fire from heaven, but Israel is not turning. God isn't working. God isn't here. But God has just made clear to Elijah, I'm here. 
when all that action has settled, I'm still here. Elijah had God in a box. God, this is how you act. This is what happens when you do your thing, God. Uh, This is what you should be doing. And God shows Elijah, not necessarily. God shatters the limits Elijah has put on God. He's broken Elijah's misconceptions. Now, if Elijah can have misconceptions about God, if even Elijah can put God in a box, then you and I definitely can. We have our expectations for what God does, what God owes us. Maybe we think, God, I've been good. I've obeyed you. I've followed you. You have to come through for me on this, right? Or God's plan can't be for me to be disappointed like this. Or uh, God can't be good and let this happen. God doesn't speak like that. God doesn't use people like that. Uh, God doesn't let stuff like that happen. Um, and when God does do stuff that, you know, we won't allow, we get mad at God and maybe we even despair. But the problem is not with God. It's with our categories for God. It's with the box that we put God in. God's brief sound of silence has broken Elijah's categories. And you have to let God break yours. If you can stomach God breaking the box you've put him in, then God will show himself to be the real, live, all-powerful God who cannot be boxed. That's the first answer for Elijah. God will not be bound by your limits on him. And that is good news. Okay. But then God actually answers Elijah. Right? This is, this is the moment we've been waiting for. This is what Elijah has been waiting for. This is the main event. This is the buildup. With storm and shaking and fire and silence. And now he's getting an answer. What does God say to Elijah? Did you notice? He basically doesn't say anything. So remember, Elijah's complaints. I'm the only one. I've been jealous for you. Your plan isn't working. You aren't pleased with me. And God says, go back to what you were doing. That's pretty much it. He says, do these things. Go, anoint so-and-so, do this, da-da-da-da-da. Do these things, and yet I will keep 7,000 to myself. 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal and have not kissed Baal in worship. How is this an answer? I mean, Elijah is in utter despair here. He's ready for God to take his life. He's given up on ministry. And this is the answer God gives to him. Go back to what you were doing. And Elijah receives it. He, he does it. How is this an answer? Because Elijah has already gotten the answer before he got the answer. We already saw that God broke out of Elijah's box, but that isn't all that he did. Why did God lead Elijah to relive, to recreate the Exodus story? Because God was reminding Elijah in a very physical, tangible, tactable way of his deep identity. The deep reality of who God is. The Exodus was the fundamental story for Israelites. God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make them a nation, to bless them, and to make them a blessing. And when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, God came down and set them free. 
God took them as his own. God saved them. And then he entered into a personal covenant relationship with them. He was their God. He went before them. He dwelt with them. All because God promised to love them. Not because they were worthy and deserving, but because God promised to love them. Elijah is reminded that God has a plan, and God has always had a plan. And Elijah is part of that plan because God is good and gracious and loving. So God says, go back to your job. I have a plan, and you're playing a part. And this is why the silence is significant. It looks like God doesn't have a plan, but he does. God is saying, Elijah, you think I'm not at work. You're wrong. You think my plan isn't working. You're wrong. You think that if you don't make things happen, right? After all, you're the only one left, Elijah. You think that my plan won't work out. You're wrong. If I wanted to turn back Jezebel's heart, I would have. Elijah, trust me. So get back to work. And Elijah does. He goes. God doesn't tell Elijah what is going to happen or why it's happening this way. God even tells Elijah to anoint a tyrannical king, Hazael, to be king over Israel's enemies. So Elisha ends up doing this. And when he sees Hazael, he breaks down into tears because he says, I've seen what you were going to do to my people Israel. So anyway, that one's a real mind bender. That's part of God's plan. Um, But Elijah now is in a place where he can trust God. You have a plan, God. I trust you. It doesn't make sense to me. I trust you. And sure enough, God's plan would continue to not make sense. Um, And many times it would appear that God was not present, that God was not at work. And several hundred years after Elijah, the greatest prophet of God would climb up another mountain and he would cry out to God, why? And get no answer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The most category busting event in history is when Jesus was crucified. Right? Clouds covered the earth in darkness and God appeared absent. The earth shook when Jesus died and God appeared absent. The disciples look at this and they think, what just happened? I thought he was going to win. This is not winning. Where is God? Nothing good can come of this. God couldn't be working through this. Peter gave up ministry, went back to fishing. Of course, the crucifixion was the most momentous event of salvation in history. Jesus' death was followed by silence, where it appeared that nothing was happening. It was also followed by the resurrection. God was at work. What do you do when you don't understand what God is doing? Go to the mountain of God at the cross, where God clearly declared his purposes to forgive, to bless, to give life. Sometimes we get God's answer by fire. Amen. Good. What if God is speaking to us in a whisper? It's still the voice of God. 
Right? So go. Go back to what you were doing. Return to your job of faithfully following and obeying Jesus. That's your job. Follow and obey Jesus. Your life doesn't have to be spectacular to be faithful. It could be a brief sound of silence. God is at work and your job is to be faithful. God is at work. Trust in God's faithfulness. God was faithful with Moses. He was faithful with Elijah. He was faithful with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, at times it feels like everything is falling apart and you're nowhere to be found. But Lord, we have so much evidence in history and in our own lives that you are at work. We believe that your ways are higher than our ways. We believe that you know more than we know, that you are your goodness is above our goodness. God, help us to hold fast to what we believe to be true. That your plan for us is the resurrection and to behold your face for eternity, to have all of our wounds healed, to have all of our despair replaced with hope. God, we have hope because you came and you gave yourself for us to forgive us, to behold us, to bless us, even when we cry out like animals, Lord. God, may we seek your voice and may we hear your voice. You are always speaking, Lord. Make us attentive to your word, to your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As always, if, if anybody wants prayer for anything, you can come up to me or any leader in the church and ask for prayer. Um, we, we'd love The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let us go forth proclaiming our Lord's death and resurrection until he returns. Go in peace.